You'll turn with you in your Bibles this morning again to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Continuing our study in this great letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus. You know, we remember that these are real people in real churches. To whom Paul wrote real letters dealing with real matters that impacted them. In our study of Acts on Sunday evenings, we are at the place in chapter 19 and moving into chapter 20, a few weeks, where Paul is spending time in this city, in the city of Ephesus, dealing with the believers there. And this letter is written to the church uh, later uh, to deal with some of the issues they were facing, to encourage them, both in their knowledge of God and their life before Him. And so we're in chapter 4, and we're going to pick up this morning with verse 17, read through 19. This is, again, God's Word. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord... That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity, with greediness. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would uh, be with us as we turn our attention to this part of your holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. We pray, O God, today that you would take it and you would apply it to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to understand it, to grasp its truth. We pray that we would allow your Holy Spirit to apply the truth to our hearts as our need becomes manifest as we're exposed to this portion of the truth of your holy word and we ask it in Jesus name Amen you know the apostle Paul had a lot of concerns he was concerned about the lost obviously he was desired to see their salvation he was concerned about the many dangers that he faced personally as he went about from place to place proclaiming the truth of the gospel. He was concerned about the gospel itself. Concerned that it would be proclaimed in truth and in power, not being diluted to make it more palatable to the audience. He was concerned about the young men that he ministered or mentored, like Timothy and Silas. He was concerned about making sure that he fought the good fight that he kept the faith that he finished the race he was concerned about a lot of things but I'm convinced that the greatest concern Paul had was for the church we see that clearly I think here in this chapter in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul talks about his concern for the church and its life and its work and its ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gave his own testimony. There he listed a long number of things that had affected him. Many tribulations and trials he had faced because of the gospel. And yet after that list, he comes and he says... 
But the greatest concern to me is the daily burden of the church. Paul is concerned about the church. And Paul is concerned about it because God's concerned about it. And as I said earlier, because God's concerned about it, we need to be concerned about it. In the first part of this chapter, in the first 16 verses, Paul's been dealing with the importance of the unity of the church. How we are all one body in Christ. And even though we are many members who have different gifts, who are from different backgrounds, who God uses in different ways, we're all one. And we show our unity together in the love that we share for each other, the concern we express for one another, the care we have for one another, the encouragement we give to one another, the prayers that we offer for one another. All have this deep concern for the unity of the church. In our text this morning, he begins to deal with another concern for the church. It moves beyond its unity to its purity. Because we're called to be one people, we're to be concerned about the unity of the church. Because we're called to be a holy people, we're to be concerned about the purity of the church. How do we do that? Well, we do that by being nonconformists. We do that by avoiding the pressure that is placed upon us by the world to be formed to its image rather than the image of Christ. As believers, you and I are to be different. Our lives are to reflect the change that has taken place in our hearts. You know, the Bible says that when we come to faith in Christ, we become new creatures. Old things pass away. New things become a reality in our lives. We can't be new creatures and still continue in our old way. We must develop new patterns of behavior that reflect our new life in Christ. And that really is what the rest of chapter 4 is about. It's really what the rest of the book of Ephesians is about. What difference does our faith in Christ make? And Paul's going to apply it over the next several, a couple of chapters to many different areas of life. When we get to chapter 5, it's all about the home. How does our faith impact our relationship with our spouse? Later he'll talk about how it impacts the relationship between parents and, and children. Between an employer and their employees. How does our faith impact the life that we live every day as we encounter the world around us. That's where Paul's going as we move through this rich book of the Bible toward the end. But before he gets to what our lives ought to be like, he gives us a caution in our text this morning about what our lives ought not to be like. Uh, we're not to be like the unbelievers, he says. We're not to be like them because their lives are contrary to God's will and because their lives lead to despair. So that's kind of the overview. I want us to look at these verses in a little more detail. I want to draw three things. 
from these verses for you this morning. And the first is we clearly see a clear admonition in this text not to be like, not to live like the unbelievers. Paul says in verse 17 that you no longer, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. It's interesting to me how Paul will kind of throw out these brief but powerful statements and then he'll kind of expand them and explain what they mean. We saw the same thing last week in chapter 14 where Paul said, we're no longer to be children. He kind of threw that out there. We're no longer to be children. And then he explained what he meant by that. And here he says, look, you're no longer to live like the Gentiles. And then he goes on to kind of explain what that means. And so we have this admonition here in verse 17, not to walk or to live the way the Gentiles do. Well, what's Paul saying there? He's talking about the separation there is to be between believers and unbelievers, between those who claim faith in Christ and those who do not. You know, even though the the word Gentile referred specifically to a a distinct ethnic group, it's also used in a very general way to, to refer to all those who were unbelievers or apart from Christ. It's not just those who were not Jews, the Bible used Gentiles in a, in a way to describe all unbelievers. And so that's the way the reference is used here. To all ungodly, unregenerate, unbelieving people, those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Now we all know there was a sharp distinction ethnically between the Jews and the Gentiles. They had as little to do with each other as possible. What the Gentiles liked, the Jews didn't like. What the Gentiles thought was proper, the Jews thought was improper. And so they had this uh, kind of running confrontation against each other, this separation, if you will, between the two groups. And what we fail to understand many times is there to be just that kind of sharp distinction between us and the world. As believers, we're no longer to follow the ways of the world, but instead we're to follow the ways of Christ. If you keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 4, and turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says a very similar thing. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4. He says, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, the unbelievers, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. You see, there's this constant danger that faces us as a believer. That's the lure and the tug, the world, to to take us into its grasp and to, to mold us into its image. The world entices us to walk with it instead of to walk with God. And Peter says in that text from 1 Peter 4, that the world is surprised when you don't follow it. 
Unbelievers can't understand why you don't enjoy the same kinds of things they enjoy. Why you don't do the same kinds of things they do. They're surprised by it. They don't understand it. And he says, they even malign you because of it. They'll make fun of you. Maybe it's God's... I know it's God's plan. Everything is God. You college students here, you understand that. If you're going to live for Christ on the college campus, you're going to face it. You're going to be tugged. You're going to be pulled. You're going to be enticed. You're going to be lured. And if you have the strength before God to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be involved in in that. There'll be those who are going to be surprised. They're going to say, what? You're not coming to this party? You're not going to that event? And then they'll malign. They'll make fun. They'll laugh. They'll scoff. Bible says they were to walk no longer like the Gentiles. Time already passed is sufficient for us to live that way. You know, the most familiar caution given to us in the Bible in this regard is Romans 12, verse 2, where Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world. Now, the pressure is on us even more. Because if we're all honest, come on, let's be honest here. None of us like to be nonconformist. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want to be a part of the group. And sometimes it is really hard. To stand, as the retreat is called at Twin Lakes, to stand against the flow. And to stand for Christ and for the truth of His Word. Many times in life, you have to make a choice. You have to choose whether to go God's way or the world's way. Live the way that He prescribes or the way that the world wants you to go. And the point before us this morning is that we are to no longer walk or live in the same way that the unbelievers live. Before we move on, I want you to notice what a serious matter this is to to Peter. If you look back at the first part of verse 17, he says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. He's, He's invoking the name of God here. This is important stuff. I'm saying this, I'm affirming it with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. And so there's this clear admonition. And then second, he goes on to give a description of the unbelievers. I said a moment ago, you know, Paul kind of lay out these brief and powerful statements, and then he he kind of expands on and explains what he means. That's what he does here as we turn to the end of verse 17 and end of verse 18, where he says this, They walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Wow, what a 
What a description of the unbelievers. Let's break that down just a bit. He gives four specific descriptions of the unbeliever. One is, in verse 17, that their minds are futile. They walk, he says, in the futility of their minds. It's interesting to me that most of these four characteristics of unbelievers have something to do with the mind. It's because the Bible says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. John MacArthur says that Christianity is cognitive before it's experiential. What he means is your experience, what you do, flows from what you think. And so what you think and what you think about matters. You see, it's with the, it's the, with the mind that we understand the gospel. It's with the mind that we realize that there really is a God. That God does exist. It's with the mind that we understand that there are two paths in life. One that leads to righteousness and holiness and one that leads to utter destruction. The Bible makes it clear that the first step in repentance is a change of mind about where you are in life and where you need to go. Again, what, what we think and what we think about matters. And it's because unbelievers think differently that unbelievers live differently. Their whole philosophy of life is different from that a believer. Their values are different from those of us who trust in Christ. That's why Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed. How? By the renewing, by the changing of your mind. The man thinks within himself, so is he. And notice that here Paul says, that the mind of the unbeliever is futile. You know, Paul lived in a day, folks, when there was great emphasis placed on the intellect. To the Greeks, the mind was all important. They didn't think there was any problem that couldn't be solved with reasoning and with the power of the mind. But notice that Paul says that the mind of the unbeliever is futile. The Greeks focused on the intellect, but it was intellectual trivia. And they missed, they missed the most important knowledge there was, and that was the knowledge of God. But there's another characteristic here, and that is their understanding, he says, is darkened. Now, unbelievers can learn many things. There are many very, very, very smart unbelievers. There are unbelievers who are intellectual giants. Some unbelievers know a whole lot of stuff. You get the point? But notice the text says, it isn't their knowledge that's darkened. It is their understanding that's darkened. Paul talked about those who are always learning, but who never come 
to an understanding of the truth. And that's really the futility of the unbeliever. He knows all this stuff. Yet his knowledge is separated from real truth about the knowledge of God. And so he can't fit what he knows into a into a world and life view that includes a creator, a sovereign God who's over all of life, who directs the affairs of men according to his sovereign and holy will. Their understanding, he says, is darkened. You know, Paul talks in Romans 1 about how unbelievers suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that's, the, that's one of the saddest things of unbelievers. They know so much. Unbelievers in their learning have contributed so much, haven't they, to our understanding of, of so much of life, and yet it is divorced from the truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Paul said. Their understanding is darkened. Even they know so much, they can't fit it in with the existence of God and who He is. There's a third characteristic here, and that is the unbeliever has... Or lives in spiritual ignorance. Says being dark in their understanding, verse eighteen, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Again, unbelievers don't know the truth. I'm gonna say it. Even some of the most intelligent unbelievers are ignorant. Ignorant because they don't know God. Don't know the greatest knowledge. Don't possess the greatest truth. And even though you have great knowledge on one side, they're completely ignorant on the other. And Paul says because of their spiritual ignorance, they are, he says, excluded from the life of God. There's another characteristic here. And that is, he says, that their hearts are hardened. Romans 1 is a scary chapter. Gary taught on it some months ago now. Romans chapter 1, where unbelievers suppress the truth. They resist the knowledge of God. And over time, you know what happens. The more you resist, you just become hardened to it you become callous to it the longer you say there is no God the harder it will be someday to say there is a God the longer you suppress the truth ignore the truth the more difficult it will be someday to embrace the truth it really is kind of like your skin Skin sensitive. But you know, if you just keep rubbing one spot, it'll really hurt. You'll get a blister. If you ignore the pain, if you ignore the reality, if you ignore the truth, eventually you know what happens. That place becomes scarred over. Becomes a callus. You don't feel it any longer. You're dull to it. 
You're insensitive to it. Folks, that's the danger of unbelief. And that leads us to the third point, which you find in verse 19. And that's the utter despair of unbelief. The despair in which an unbeliever lives. Look at verse 19 where he says this. And they have and they having become callous, there it is, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Again, it's clear in the Bible that as this callousness grows, this insensitivity to the gospel increases. And unbelievers become more and more blatant in their sin, more and more open about their sin, more and more flagrant about their sin. If there's one thing, one thing that ought to give you concern about our country, it is that. Our sin is no longer behind closed doors, it is open. It's flagrant. And it's accepted. The unbeliever is so excluded from the life of God that over time he just doesn't care. We're living in a nation more and more people that just doesn't care. That just doesn't care. They give themselves over, the Bible says, to their sin. They don't exercise any restraint. That's what the text says. They've given themselves over to sensuality, to the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Interesting he uses greediness there, isn't it? What's greediness? Greediness is a focus upon self. The definition of greediness, I'm going to live by the philosophy, I want what I want when I want it. Greediness is living for yourself with no concern for the consequences. And he talks here about them living in every kind of impurity with this kind of greediness. And a grab for everything they can get. Well, what kind of picture does that draw of an unbelief? It's a picture of complete hopelessness, hopelessness and despair. You see, the, the unbeliever is in despair because he focuses only on this life itself. He, he, he tries to, to get whatever pleasure he can here. To find whatever meaning and purpose he can out of life now. And if he doesn't get it now, he's missed. And people are led to hopelessness hopelessness and despair when they realize, you know, I've tried to find it in this life and it's not there. And they don't know the alternative. They don't know the truth. Utter despair is living without hope. And that's where the unbeliever is because he's placed all his hope here. 
It's like the man Jesus described. What is it? Profit a man or a person? Man or a woman? Jesus did. If he gains the whole world, everything this world has to offer, all of its money, all of its success, all of its accolades, all of its pleasure. What does it profit a man if he gains all of it? Has it all. And yet loses his most precious possession. His own soul. That's the despair of the unbeliever. Again, despair is living without hope. And that's the picture Paul draws of the unbeliever here. This world is all they have. If they don't find it, get it, or experience it here, they've simply missed out on life's purpose. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes calls that vanity. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Life without no meaning. Well, why does Paul put this rather dark message here? I think there are two reasons. One is to remind these Ephesian Christians that they're not to live like that any longer. Look, Ephesus was a vile city. There was a lot of raunchy stuff in Ephesus. Many of these people had been converted out of that. And there was this constant lure and draw, enticement to go back into it. But Paul says in verse 17 again, you're to walk no longer. No longer do that. No longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. Let's be honest, there's always this constant lure and draw from the world. Paul says, or John says, we're to be in the world. We're not to be of the world. Go with me if you would. Keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 4. Go with me to 1 John. I think John puts it as clearly as we find anywhere in the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. The one who does the will of the Father lives forever. The other reason Paul gives this admonition here, I think, in Ephesians is to remind them of the sure hope we have in Christ. Look, hope is seen most clearly against the backdrop of despair. Light is seen most clearly against the backdrop of darkness. Life is seen most clearly against the backdrop of death. And here Paul is Describing for them, kind of in a backward way, the great hope that we have in Christ. And we're going to see that when we come to the next passage next week, beginning with verse 20, he says, But, but you didn't learn Christ this way. 
This is not the way of Christ. There's a different way. A different way from the way of the world. It's a way of purity, a way of holiness, a way of obedience to the way of Christ. We're to walk in that way. There's a contrast, isn't there? In the world and the kingdom of God. Those who believe and those who don't. Those who are in Christ and those who are apart. Have you experienced that in your life this morning? You know the difference that Christ really can make in your life? Experience the change, the transformation. Christ bring? Are you being pressured and, and molded into the, the form of the world? Are you being molded into the image of Christ? That really is the distinction. And if this morning, if you find yourself on this side, on the world side, and not on Christ's side, and I call you this morning to confess your sin to Him. To repent of your sin and turn to Him. To give your life to Him. To trust in Him. Young people here this morning, the biggest decision you'll ever make in life is the direction you want your life to take. You want it to be lived for Christ or for the world? You want to be conformed to this world's image or the image of Christ? There's no time to make that decision like today. Maybe today would be the day of salvation for someone. We don't have altar calls in our church. We don't ask you to come forward. We ask you to to seek your heart before the Lord. You have questions about your faith, and if you want to know Christ, you want to trust in Him, then I'd urge you to come see me or come talk to one of the elders. We'll help you. Embrace Christ for your own. And find the hope that He gives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much for the Word of Truth, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that today it might have its effect in our lives to draw us to Yourself. And I pray for all of us that we would see the distinction between the world and between believers We long to be like Christ and to stay in the way of the world. We pray that through all of our lives we bring glory and honor. And if there be anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would draw them to a saving knowledge of yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.